0: Politics, Politics. and Life Sciences Radio, also known as PLS Radio, is a show about the interplay of life sciences and politics. PLS Radio is hosted by Dean L. Finelli. Ph.D., an intellectual property attorney in Washington, D.C., whose practice focuses on issues connected to the life sciences industry. PLS explores cutting-edge topics involving the biotech and pharma ecosystems, political and governmental policy issues affecting the biotech and pharma industries, and much more. PLS guests include scientists. Business, medical professionals, media personalities, newsmakers, and political leaders. Politics and Life Sciences Radio is your place for hot topic discussions and real news in the life sciences industry. Now it's time for Politics and Life Sciences Radio with your host, Dr. Dean L. Finelli.
1: This is Politics and Life Science Radio, where we discuss issues at the interplay of life sciences and politics. I'm your host, Dean Alfinelli. Uh, I've been practicing 25 years in the life science industry, and to that end, here at Politics and Life Sciences, we explore cutting-edge topics involving biotech and pharma issues. Uh, each week, we'll have amazing guests on that will discuss various issues related to hot topics in life sciences, as well as issues. Uh, the politics behind that and what topics are coming up in the political spectrum. There's a lot going on in the life science industry, and as everyone can imagine, most of it revolves around the vaccine and the virus. Well, good news, Pfizer's vaccine was approved in the UK. The Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency approved Pfizer's vaccine under emergency use authorization. So. In the U.K., they should see several hundred thousand vials uh, appearing any day now, so that's great news. They'll be getting vaccinated shortly. Here in the U.S., we have both Moderna and Pfizer are preparing to have announcements potentially that their vaccines also have received emergency use authorization. Pfizer will sub- has submitted its application, and the External Advisory Committee is supposedly going to meet on December 10th to determine whether... Pfizer gets its emergency use authorization. Uh, I think you know everyone in the U.S. expects that that should happen, but we'll have to wait and see. The following week, December seventeenth, Moderna's uh, vaccine candidate will come up under that advisory committee to see if it also receives emergency use authorization. And based on all the data we've seen, it looks like you know each of these will be approved at least for emergency use authorization before Christmas, which is great news. Both of these companies indicated that they could likely get about 20 million uh, shots of each, so that you're talking about 40 million shots, which would vaccinate about 20 million Americans. And it looks like, based on CDC guidelines, that you know the first Americans to get this would be those in um, healthcare facilities, those in nursing homes, basically very high-risk people, as you can imagine. And that's you know probably what everyone was expecting anyway. However, I mean, one of the big issues is a lot of skepticism still remains among Americans at large. You know, when we think about the general public, we're probably looking at some period around the end of Q1, beginning of Q2 of next year, when the general public gets is avail- the vaccine becomes available to them. And right now, it looks like only 58 percent of Americans have agreed or at least uh, in the poll have said they were willing to get the vaccine. That's up from 50 percent in September, but still not really high enough to get that herd immunity. It looks like we're going to need about 70 to somewhere between 70 and 80% of the population to get vaccinated in order to hit that herd immunity. So we're definitely going to need a lot more people getting this. And I suspect, you know, once we people start getting it and seeing their friends getting it, that those numbers will go up. But nonetheless, some other good news, Presidents Obama, George W. Bush and Clinton have all come forward and said they will get the vaccine. They believe it's safe and effective once it's approved. And they're willing to do it on camera just to motivate and encourage Americans and convince Americans that, hey, you know, these guys, former presidents, all believe this is safe, encouraging us to get go out and get that vaccine. So that's more great news. I think we're a little behind the eight ball here when it comes to our publicity campaign in the U.S. I think we needed an educational campaign and we still need that. I would have liked to have seen it, you know, a little sooner, but nonetheless, you know, with these vaccines coming out, uh now, now's the time. We need to get that number up. So this is Dean Finelli on Politics and Life Science Radio. We have a great guest today. I'm looking forward to speaking with Danny Cass. She'll be up in a few minutes. My name is Dean Finelli, and you're listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio, which where we discuss the interplay of life science and politics. I have a great guest today. My guest is Danny Cass, who is a senior intellectual property reporter at Law 360, specializing in patents and whatever possible life sciences. She previously worked at the Daily Progress in Charlottesville, Virginia, and the Student Press Law Center. She lives in Brooklyn, New York, and when she's not acting as a journalist, she can be found as an aerialist and a rabble rousing with the new Skilled of New York. Well, Danny, it's a pleasure to have you, thank you for joining us and You know, I think as one of our initial episodes of the podcast, it's great to have a rabble-rousing trapeze artist. So if things don't go well on the (laughs) life science side, I'm sure it'll be a fun interview.
2: All right. Thanks so much, Dean. I'm glad to be here.
1: So, yeah, I read your article yesterday on Law 360, and I'm so happy to have you today. Uh, Your article yesterday, Moderna-Pfizer playing the long game with novel vaccine IP. Uh, I love the article talked about the science and as well as the IP landscape. How do you feel? What's your uh, I know in the article, a lot of people you mentioned don't believe that IP will be a hurdle to getting this vaccine on the market to people. But how do you feel about that? What's your sense?
2: So it seems like right now the companies are smart enough to understand that if they were to try to really aggressively enforce their patents right now and put profit over getting vaccines actually out to the general public that it there would be a ton of backlash uh, so what seems to be happening instead is that um moderna and pfizer who are the two leading vaccine companies with this have both reached uh almost two billion dollar deals with the federal government to sell their vaccines directly to them and they're um and that way they'll all just be distributed from kind of that centralized point so They understand that if they were to, you know, go out and really aggressively enforce patents in COVID-related instances right now, that there would probably be backlash from the government who would see it as taking advantage of people. And then also the general public would be really upset. I don't think any company really wants to have the reputation of where where the company that decided we're going to get in the way of people getting a vaccine that would help them end a, a pandemic when we didn't have to.
1: Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. I mean, you know, all these companies that are doing this are doing a great job. How do you feel, uh, does it look like once the vaccines are available, I mean, we're going to have to probably vaccinate north of 200 million Americans. Uh, Are these companies going to profit off of this, do you know, or is this going to be completely free? Because you had mentioned that these companies received, you know, a couple billion dollars from the U.S. government, assuming, assumingly, from taxpayer money. Um, will this vaccine be free from what your understanding is?
2: From what I have been reading, it does appear that, the, that this vaccine should be free for everybody. Um, I, I presume that that could be subject to change, but from everything I've been reading now, that seems to be the plan, that the government is the one that kind of fronts the cost.
1: And it looks like healthcare workers and those in nursing homes with you know high-risk people, they're going to be the first ones to get this, uh, do you have any sense on, you know, once we get to the point of giving it to healthcare workers, you know, logistically rolling this out is going to be a challenge. Getting this, do you have any uh, thoughts, or have you heard, you know, plans of rolling this out logistically? Get, trying to get it, will it be the type of thing where I would imagine inner cities where they have you know healthcare infrastructures already in place, maybe. Uh, you know, a, a place where they would initially start treating people. But, you know, of course, there's a lot of people that are in those high-risk categories that also live in the suburbs and rural areas. Have you heard, you know, how this is going to be distributed, particularly as it relates to more rural areas that aren't easy to
2: get to? I actually, that's that's a little bit outside of what I've been researching, so I'm not entirely sure. Um, I don't know okay, that no have an answer for you on that one. Yeah.
1: Oh, no, no, no problem at all. So when we think about these uh, vaccines, how many do you think, uh, you know, so we have Pfizer and Moderna talking about, were there any other issues uh, going back to the patent issue and the IP aspects of this? uh, Are there any issues notwithstanding, you know, the publicity concerns uh, that, that you found related to the patents? For example, you know, are there, is this just an issue where there may be one blocking patent? Or is this the type of situation where, you know, there's several dozen companies that are preparing vaccines? Do each of them have their own IP portfolios where you have to see a situation where, you know, absent a pandemic situation, uh, there will be these massive battles?
2: So it, it's entirely likely um, the, the patents that Moderna and Pfizer are likely going to be getting over this technology. It, it's really foundational um, high-level patents. They're not the really like drug-specific minutiae. It's more about mm-hmm. how how does the drug delivery system work? How do we make the body accept what we're telling it to do in this vaccine? And that's the kind of technology that's going to be really broadly applicable, and it could be used for vaccines to cure a whole host of different conditions. So you're going to have a lot of companies wanting to use this technology in order to go after whatever conditions they might be targeting with their individual research. And that's where these patents are really going to come into play.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, especially when you think of, you know, mRNA, you know, there's never been a a drug, an mRNA drug approved. And now here we are in a pandemic situation and we potentially have two uh, vaccines. So that's certainly great news. And it looks like a lot of that background mRNA technology came out of uh, the University of Pennsylvania's labs with Drew Weissman and uh, professor Carico who's now at biotech which is you know associated with Pfizer uh, but what other areas do you see you know this mRNA uh, playing out in in the in the long term outside of the infectious disease areas
2: um, it's a little outside of my expertise but the the ones that I have been hearing people talk about, um, the various researchers that I've disc- uh, talked about this issue with, they've kind of said that it could be used in different kinds of cancer research. Uh, also just, you know, as we're dealing with future coronaviruses hoping that, you know, none is as bad as this one, but if anything like that happens, um, but I think it, it could really be pretty broadly applied. I don't have any inside knowledge, though one on what it's being actively used for right now.
1: Sure. Understood. And another aspect of it, it looks like the, the previous, patent disputes weren't necessarily over the the mRNA aspects, but they were over the delivery system, this lipid nanoparticle delivery system that uh, seems like was really groundbreaking in the sense that, you know, delivering this mRNA is quite difficult generally uh, until the discovery of this, you know, specific lipid delivery system. Uh, have you heard anything about that? Are there other, um, is, is that an area of IP that, these companies are trying to actively secure?
2: Um, I think so. I mean, I think it all comes down to the delivery systems. Um, I know like you were suggesting that uh, there was, Moderna was already kind of challenging patents from this other company called Arbitus that has um, some of the, those delivery system patents. And they were able to at least to partially invalidate one of those Arbit- Arbitus' patents and fully invalidate another uh, so I think that that entire drug delivery system is going to be where the where the fights are taking place, because you can't exactly um, under the Patent Act you can't uh, patent the actual uh, genetic material that's being delivered in this in the vaccine. You have to focus on kind of how you're getting the body to accept that genetic material.
1: Interesting. So as far as um, have you heard any news on uh, the AstraZeneca or, you know, you may have heard that they're developing a vaccine and they had some interesting news where, you know, when an initial dose was cut in half, uh, it looked like mistakenly, uh, they had a higher efficacy overall that went up to 90%. Uh, do you, have you heard anything about when we can expect maybe an AstraZeneca or a and j vaccine to get on the market?
2: Uh, no, I have not heard any updates about that, just um, that the the new data from AstraZeneca and the University of Oxford looks promising.
1: Absolutely. Well, Danny, thanks so much for your time today. This was really very useful and very helpful. You know, one, if you need an idea for an article, one thing I've been thinking about is, you know, we keep hearing about these drug prices in the U.S. and how they're so high. And you know, especially I I get the, for the innovator companies, you know, they need to keep drug prices high to incentivize them for the research and development. But one of the things, you know, we hear about is, you know, these generic drugs that are very cheap to make, but we outsource them. And especially, you know, early in March, when the pandemic was just kicking off, we heard India and China uh, both saying that they were going to restrict the exportation of some of their drugs. And, you know, as you probably know, we get 97% of our antibiotics from, from abroad, and about ninety percent of our generics. So, uh, if you're ever interested in an article like that, I think that's a really great issue. But thanks so much for your time today. It was really great talking to you.
2: Yeah, great. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Well, thank you so much for listening today, and I want to thank our special guest, Danny Cass, for taking the time to speak with us and giving us all that invaluable information. This is Dean Finelli, and you're listening to Politics and Life Science Radio. And have a great evening.
0: Thank you for listening to Politics and Life Sciences Radio with Dr. Dean L. Finelli. For more information, check us out at facebook.com slash politics and life sciences.